here's what chaos engineering is. It's an empirical practice of setting up experiments to figure out where your system is vulnerable so that you can know that ahead of time and, and proactively fix some of these vulnerabilities in your system. This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. The DevSecOps Day podcast series is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to create and maintain software applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically evaluate and track open source components with known vulnerabilities within the DevSecOps pipeline. I got my start in tech, uh, allegedly as a software engineer in a former life. I ran some uh, very small uh, companies as a consultant for about 10 years. Uh, did some work at startups, the, the most uh, prominent one of which was called Basho, made a distributed database called React, uh, very, very nice um, operational key value store. Uh, then eventually made my way over to uh, Netflix uh, as a manager. In, in particular, I was looking for uh, the experience of, of managing at a, at a world-class software company like Netflix, having read the, uh, uh, their culture deck. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was great. And so I was actually um, talking to a friend of mine who worked at Netflix. I was, I was looking at a, an MBA at, at Stanford, and I was like, yeah, I was, I was excited about it because they uh, had lectures about Netflix's culture deck at, you know, in this course. And uh, it was kind of a V8 moment for me. He, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, you could do that or you could just come here and live it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that would probably, oh, yeah, duh. That's, that's, that's probably the better, the better answer. That's a, do you want to sell sugar water? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I did. So I went to Netflix to manage the uh, traffic team. What is that? What's the traffic team? What's that? So the traffic team was it was responsible for the the remediation of regional failures. So Netflix's control plane uh, runs in AWS in three regions. Basically, they had the infrastructure in place to um, uh, move all of the traffic from one region to the other two if that region goes down. Which, if you know anything about AWS, is unlikely, but does occasionally happen uh and what year was this uh so i started there in um 2014 uh so this was after uh netflix had had an outage uh christmas eve 2012 which uh you know was the worst time for netflix to have an outage because you know everybody was with family and you know had in-laws over and and the way you avoid speaking with your in-laws is watching netflix and so you know God's forbid Netflix isn't working. You have to speak with your in-laws. So it was, it was, the service was down for about 24 hours, and that kind of provided the impetus to create this program to keep the entire service active-active between multiple regions. Eventually, that led to um, the creation of, of my team, the traffic team. Yeah, and so I managed that team for three years. Uh, when I got there, they, they already kind of had some of the architecture, some of the tooling in place. Uh, to perform that remediation process, but it would take a, a close to you know anywhere from like an hour to two hours for the entire process to complete. You know there were a lot of manual steps that weren't 
necessarily decision-making points, but but just the human acting as glue to, to bring context from different places together. When I left, we had that process down to six minutes. Uh, the engineers on that team were just fantastic about uh, identifying new mechanisms to um, to create faster uh, a faster way to switch over, and uh, you know just that the control plane traffic for Netflix alone is something on the order of three percent of the internet's traffic. We're talking about moving a, a, a lot a lot of connections around the globe, a lot of a lot of bits moving there. When I when I first got there though, in my second week there was a concept to have a chaos engineering team uh but no no uh no manager for it since i was new my boss said hey you know what do you think you want to manage this chaos team and i didn't know any better and i was you know trying to impress people so i said sure were they calling it chaos monkey at the time or was that something that it grew into so chaos monkey had already been around for about five years you know did what it did what did what it does very well so we've got like 10 years of history with Chaos Monkey now, where so if, for people who don't know, Chaos Monkey will uh, turn off one instance of every service um, every day. Uh, it, the, not nicely, it just it just shuts it off. Hey, really, uh, there's no forewarning to the team. You just shut it down. Yeah, yeah, no, no warning. And, um, and, you know, so why would you do something like that? Well, when, when Netflix uh, migrated from the data center to the cloud, from uh, you know vertically scaled uh, systems that were very reliable to horizontally scaled system, where you know a feature of AWS at the time was that sometimes instances would just disappear, as is still the case with many container platforms. Sometimes they just go away, and they had a lot of trouble with uh, stability in, in during that transition. So what, what Chaos Monkey did was it took that problem that needed to be solved and uh, it brought the pain forward. It, it just made it so frequent and put, put a clearly defined problem in front of the engineers so that they couldn't get their job done at all unless they solved that problem first. What's really key to, to the success of Chaos Monkey is it didn't tell them how to solve it and it didn't require edicts or management intervention it became just a, a natural um, consequence of working at Netflix. Yeah, you know, instances are going to disappear from your service every day. Deal with it. And they did beautifully. Netflix hasn't had an outage due to a single point of failure instance disappearing since because Chaos Monkey is just always running and, and, and catches those things. So that, that worked really well. And so, you know, five, six years after that was working, they, you know, they, they kind of had this notion of, oh, well, when we, when we were breaking stuff in production, um, that, you know, we got better reliability. And uh, when I was hired, they were kind of thinking about the role in terms of like an availability czar type thing. They're like, oh, we need more reliability. We need, we need to get our availability numbers uh, in a better place. So maybe you can take that and, and run with it and do something with it. Uh, you know, aside from Chaos Monkey, I didn't, I didn't you know, there, there wasn't anything else out there to, to look at. So I went around Netflix and I asked, you know, what's, what's chaos engineering mean? What is it? The answer I usually got back was, oh, that's when we break stuff in production. I was new at Netflix and I thought, okay, I kind of want to keep this job. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> I could just get root access to things, break stuff in production, and that's not going to 
provide any benefit to Netflix. Cool as that sounds, I think I th- you know I think we'll do something a little bit more sophisticated. So we you know we I literally sat down for a month and 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 worked out with my team. You know what's how can we how can we model a discipline around this that specifically creates tooling that we can use to improve availability. You know, we borrowed a lot from from a lot of different areas. Uh, Sydney Decker's book uh, "Drift into Failure" uh, was a was a great influence. Um, a lot of John Oswald's work uh, was a was a great influence, and uh, and created this this discipline. We wrote a, a manifesto of sorts. The definition uh, is currently at principlesofchaos.org. That outlined, you know, here's what chaos engineering is. It's an empirical practice of setting up experiments to figure out where your system is vulnerable so that you can know that ahead of time and, and proactively fix some of these vulnerabilities in your system. So if you look at the other tooling in the availability space, disaster recovery, alerting, some of the monitoring and, uh, and observability stuff as it pertains to, to availability, it's, uh, it's all reactive. It's all time to detect and time to remediate, which is absolutely important Right, I don't want to dismiss the value there, but but it's not proactive. And what chaos engineering does is it, it's proactive because it the the tools you know Chap at, at Netflix in particular, the chaos automation platform, acronym for it was Chap, will find vulnerabilities before they manifest as aberrant system behaviors with the customers, so that you know it can notify engineers beforehand. Hey, here's you know under these circumstances, the customers are going to have a bad time. I had to laugh because it sounds like Minority Report. They, they, yeah. So they used to joke, uh, jokingly call it uh, the precog. You know, like a little ball rolls out and says a crime is about to be committed. Yeah, That's right. It, you know, uh, an availability, uh, you know, an outage is about to happen. That that was that was definitely an an, <laughs> an influence in the vision for for Chap. When you look at chaos engineering, where does security fit into that? What was Brilliant from my point of view. Aaron Reinhardt came to visit the the Chaos Engineering team. Not the Aaron Reinhardt. The Aaron <laughs> Reinhardt. Yeah, ball of excitement and energy that he is. You know, shocked and awed us at at Netflix. You know, and and basically opened my eyes to the fact that security is the other side of the coin to availability from a system safety perspective. What's great about that is a lot of the same tooling for chaos engineering to find availability vulnerabilities can be used to find security vulnerabilities. If you really think about the discipline as a way to construct experiments safely and to teach your organization about its system back, you know, back to themselves, things that they didn't already know, then availability and security go hand in hand. Chap taught Netflix, teaches Netflix about its own availability posture. Uh, Aaron wrote a tool called Chaos Slinger that, at United Health Group that teaches United Health Group about its own security posture. Things that like you wouldn't, you know, the, 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 the ones that are interesting are, of course, are the ones where we have an intuition or an expectation that turns out to be completely wrong about how our system actually behaves in production. But of course, hopefully, it's it's also building confidence for the things that do work as expected. So, you know, at the end of the day, what what chaos engineering is doing is it's allowing the rest of the organization to deliver features faster 
because the, those engineers can come to expect that uh, a lot of the system properties that humans reasonably can't be expected to, to think of will be found by the tooling that searches the space of, of things that could possibly go wrong or go really well that lead to outcomes we don't like. You literally wrote the book on chaos engineering. Is that a prescriptive book? Is it a historical book? Who would pick it up and use it? I think it's an it's not prescriptive, but it's it, it's a book of encouragement. We're currently working the the same uh, similar team. Nora Jones and I are working on uh, a follow up longer book book with O'Reilly that will be out in a quarter or two. That's a little bit more comprehensive. Um, but the the short book that we wrote that's currently out there it's just called Chaos Engineering. It's a it's a short. O'Reilly actually calls it a report because it's only eighty pages or something like that. To us, you know, of course, it's like yeah, of course it's a book. We wrote a book. <laughs> it's more an, ex an exploration of hey, here's how we came up with Chaos Engineering. Here's how we approached building some of the tooling, and here are the things that we see other people running into as they try to adopt the pri the practice and how a lot of them are, you know, faring uh, and, and, you know, getting around some of the initial obstacles and, and getting on a path towards um, broader adoption. There's a, there's a chapter in there called the Chaos Maturity Model, which was actually just started as a joke because, you know, CMM, if uh, for those who are old enough to remember it as a, as a method for uh, evaluating the maturity of their software practice, but it actually turned out to have a lot of value as people whether they're undergoing a digital transformation or not, as people evaluate where they are in, in terms of um, implementing chaos engineering. We look at you know, the, the adoption within an organization and the level of sophistication, and you can kind of map out you know, where you are related to, to other tooling and other cultures, really, other company cultures, industry cultures. That can kind of give you uh, some insight into maybe where you can be headed and, and maybe where you can get help. When I, I think about this, it seems to me that this is a very niche community that you're building, that there's only specific types of companies that would be willing to take the risk to implement this. So the reason that chaos engineering is a thing and not just something that we did at Netflix uh, is because Netflix has a bunch of weird rules. God's forbid you can't call it a procedure or you know a, um, a process because that's a bad word at Netflix. But um, one of the, one of their rules is that uh, they only hire senior talent. Being new there and and having you know trying to build out a chaos team, I needed to hire senior chaos engineers. But of course there weren't any because we made that word up. So I put together an event called Chaos Community Day in San Francisco, and I basically just reached out to, to the usual suspects, figured out who was doing the closest thing to chaos engineering at those orgs, and invited them to, to come and, and talk about their experience. My goal was to convince them that this was a worthy pursuit and, and actually get them to call their engineers chaos engineers so that I could then poach them. <laughs> and say, well, yes, of course they're senior chaos engineers because they had that title at you know, and so we so we brought in people from you know Google, Facebook, Dropbox, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Amazon, you know AWS, Walmart Labs, all the usual suspects, and and we did that, and it and it worked, 
And so, you know, we did it again the, the second year and people were then called chaos engineers. And so I could hire them at, with the, with the role chaos engineering. And in fact, that's how, um, that's how I met Nora Jones, who is, you know, one of the, um, uh, most important, uh, people in the field, uh, right now and hired her to, to Netflix. When we started doing this evangelism, the first thing we, the first pushback we ran into was, was, uh, was among financial institutions that said, you know, yeah, serving ads, watching video entertainment. Sure. You want to run this in production? Who cares? We have actual money on the line. There's no way we're, we're studying our production systems with this kind of tooling with money on the line. You know, so we said, okay, do you have outages? Of course they have outages. So what are you going to do? You're going to just keep like having, having the outage run into that brick wall, stand up, run as fast as you can until you run into the next brick wall and, and just, you know, rinse and repeat. Or, you know, do you want, you know, a flashlight to peer through the darkness a little bit and, and maybe avoid a, a brick wall or two? You know, over the course of the year, it, it made enough of an argument that the financial institutions started picking it up. Uh, um, ING actually included chaos engineering as part of an internal auditing uh, checklist, where if uh, you know if a department had chaos engineering in its practice, it was able to to leverage more uh, resources internally. And now we see more activity in that vertical. The, the financial institutions, large banks for chaos engineering than, than in any other industry. I think that's kind of interesting. It is interesting in that when you think about who were the first large enterprises to actually implement even DevOps and now moving into DevSecOps, the financial industries have a lot at stake. In order to compete, they're going to have to do something like this. Yeah, that... It, I think that's it. I think they also have a great, a great ladder in place of uh, technological leaders and how to, uh, who to look to to play catch up. So Capital One, for example, is a company that's really pushing fast and uh, really investing a lot in chaos engineering. And I think a lot of the other banks look to them as leaders in the space and go, oh, okay, Capital One is obviously making a large investment here. We should as well. And, and they kind of have you know, a pecking order. To, to advance uh, things like that. So I think that helps. And then in the second year, or the, the third year, we we got the same pushback from healthcare uh, companies. So, oh, Is that how you met Aaron through that initiative like that? No, actually he found us at Netflix. He reached out to, to Netflix before um, I ran into United Health Group that way. Okay. Right. But we, we would get pushback from healthcare companies that said, you know, entertainment, advertising, money, yeah, you know, we have actual lives on the line. We can't experiment when there are lives on the line, which was which was really great for me because you know the part of how we had decided how to how to how to construct the definition of chaos engineering is we look to very Papirian notions of Western science and you know empirical construction of experiments and and it was just great because I could say, look, it's th this is chaos engineering is based on the notions of foundational notions of Western science. And the pinnacle of that is the clinical trial. You're already doing chaos engineering. We, we just gave it a different name in software. You already run experiments in production on people. And that's considered the pinnacle of Western science. 
some of them were like, oh yeah, I guess when you put it that way, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, maybe it's maybe it is something that would benefit you know the software side as well. You've taken this also in a community sense. You started a series of conferences on chaos engineering. You've got one coming up in New York. Describe to me what a typical day at one of those conferences is. It's great. So it's it's kind of a combination of of a social event and uh, an academic workshop and maybe a little bit of, of uh, a conference vibe to it. So it's not a meetup. It's, it's invitation only, but you know, if anybody listening wants to go, just reach out to me. It's, it's easy enough to get an invitation. It's a, uh, it's a, it's single track. It's usually one large space and, and part of it, people are usually socializing in the other part. We have talks, the content just contributes to structuring some of the some of the conversations and it's kind of like food for thought. Uh, we have uh, very short presentations from industry experts and for lack of a better uh, phrase, thought leaders in like the DevOps uh, space. This year we'll have eight uh, short talks. The talks are limited to about uh, 20 minutes. And then, you know, the group kind of has a Q&A and a lot of breakout sessions to, to meet new people and and, you know, mingle and socialize. It's not recorded. Uh, we specifically made that decision at the first ones so that people could be a little bit more honest about <laughs> the, the um, incidents and the fallout and the and the planning and, and where they are at the at the companies that they were that, at. That's interesting because most of these types of uh, nascent conferences want to think about how to scale and they want to scale through making recordings and having the slide decks available to the public and all that kind of stuff. You guys are the antithesis of that. That's interesting. Yeah, so so what's great about this is it's pure evangelism of a of a uh, of a small community that will drive innovation in this field. We don't make it's not a there's no organization for the conference, so there's no group to make money, right? So there's no reason to scale it. It's just bringing people who are uh, passionate about the space and, and interested in the space together so that we can kind of like have this check-in and reformulate, you know, based on more experience than we can have just in our own careers based on, you know, who, what other people are doing. You know, it's a community of practice, but, you know, help pioneer the field and take it forward because chaos engineering is literally changing how people maintain and deploy code in production in software around the world. So this this is having a transformation on uh, not not just the chaos engineering tools that we build, but how all of the other tools that get us into production and maintain us in production are being built. This is really the event for you know a lot of the thinkers as well as the people who have influence to come together and uh, kind of calibrate how they think about the space so that we can go back out and you know continue doing what we do. I'm curious, as somebody that would go to the event, I'm going to be coming in New York. What is there anything physical or tangible I take away? Are people providing white papers? Are they providing research data? What is being provided? You'll come away with uh, a broader sense of um, the experience of the industry in grappling with um, issues like adoption. You know, how do people get this practice in? How do people conduct digital transformations at older industries where they still call it digital transformation? But also what 
a better you'll have a better sense of what the cutting edge uh, or the bleeding edge is in the field. And there's a couple talks that will just take deep technical dives into here's how we do um, chaos engineering on a particular platform. Uh, this year, for example, Chris Nova is going to give a talk on chaos engineering on on uh, Kubernetes. So it's kind of like a T-shaped ex experience in uh, chaos engineering. And uh, you know, there's some human factors. There's some resilience engineering. There's obviously um, a strong dovetail with uh, DevOps as a larger category. And, and about 25% of the people there are coming from a security perspective. I, I emphasize the availability stuff because that's my background. But increasingly, this is, this is being adopted by the security industry. When we're talking about security as part of chaos, if a security person came to the, the conference, to the, uh, the chaos day, what would they expect from their perspective to see? There's some examples, there's a lot more theory, but when you've got a group of, uh, you know, interesting, passionate, intelligent people like this together, what you're really gonna get out of this is uh, connections. And, you know, that's why we call it a community day. You're, you're building the, the network that will help you confidently navigate this in, in your day job at whatever, you know, presuming that you work at a company where you ha you're involved with security you know, you'll have more insight into what to expect as you pursue adoption at your company. We're, we're still at, you know, depending on your terminology, we're still at early stages of the hype cycle yeah. or early adopters, right? So this community is about figuring out how to cross the chasm into uh, a broader um, adoption. And that's probably going to take two or three years for the rest of the industry to move towards more homogenous infrastructure to where we can have chaos engineering products that are commodities that you can just buy off the shelf and drop in. The industry isn't there yet. So we have to figure out uh, how to you know, build custom solutions now because there aren't any commodity solutions and how to, how to bring those into our orgs and how to justify uh, that movement and how to communicate the ROI back up to, to management who uh, rightfully should be concerned about the, the ROI you'll get some hints of answers at, and it's mostly experiential. It's, hey, here's how I did that. Great, there's one successful data point. You can learn from that. You probably can't copy it because we're, you know, we're, we're still too early in the industry, but you can make that connection so that as you're you know, going through a similar process, you have somebody to bounce ideas off of, to learn from, to you know, feed information back to. So it's, you know, it, it, this really does work as a community day and not as um, like a, a course or you know lecture or more traditional conference. Specifics about the event. I need time. I need location so that people locally can know whether they can attend or not. It's uh, March twenty eighth. Uh, it's a Thursday immediately following SREcon. So a lot of people who are going to SREcon Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are staying for Thursday. Um, it's in uh, Manhattan, close to the Flatiron. Um, it's in a it's in a space called um, uh, Workbench. It's a full day thing, eight thirty to to four thirty, and then there's a, a happy hour, uh, five thirty to seven thirty. And uh, a lot of us are hanging around uh, Friday to go do some 
pseudo touristy thing. I don't know. We, we haven't quite decided. Pseudo touristy. You're talking to a New Yorker here. What is yeah. pseudo touristy? So you, you'll be able to relate. So we're you know not not going to like the Statue of Liberty or Empire State Bill or the Tenement Museum, but like you know may, there's um what is that? There's there's that uh, unfinished subway that you can somehow break into in, in, in Brooklyn and get a tour of, you know, something, something a little more interesting than, uh, Oh, you're going to be urban explorers. Okay. Something like that. You know, you know, we can do the guided tour thing, but just not your, not your run of the mill, you know, selfie thing, you know, something a little bit more. To round this whole thing out then, if people are looking for resources to get up to speed on what you're talking about, obviously they can look at your book, what else is there specific places online you would recommend for them to go there is a chaos community google group it's a great place to ask questions there's yeah the the principles of chaos.org uh, document there's a lot of meetups um, all around the world at this point it shouldn't be too hard to tap into uh, local resources uh, at, at this point to to find a community uh, but of course i'm very easy to find online uh, and I love talking about this stuff. So I'd be more than happy to answer any questions if, if people want to reach out. This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. The DevSecOps Day podcast series is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to create and maintain software applications that can be trusted and with support from the Sonotype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically evaluate and track open source components with known vulnerabilities within the DevSecOps pipeline.